Good morning, everyone. It is July 10th at 8.25 in the morning, and this is Jeffy Kennedy. I'm ready, my first cup of coffee of the day to share with you. This time I did the loud Nespresso part before the podcast begins, because, yeah, that thing really is loud, isn't it? But it's so good. It makes such good espresso. All right. So now we've got the soy milk blending. I may run out of soy milk this week. I, a lot of times at Trader, I like the Trader Joe's soy milk. And a lot of times I will buy two jugs. So that way I, you know, one will last me generally a week. But then, you know, like, like the, sometimes it gets squishy. And lately I've been doing like three lattes in the morning because the iced coffee tastes so good. And, uh. Now I'm running low because I had Minerva here yesterday and she had several of my soy lattes, which she really liked. So that was nice. And now I'm in that place where I'm sort of juggling. Is it worth getting another one? Such are the great conundrums of my life. I have a very difficult life. I hope you guys understand this. Uh, But I'm leaving on Saturday morning to drive up to Denver um, I'm meeting up with Dorinda Jones, the fabulous Dorinda Jones, in uh, Las Vegas, not Nevada, but New Mexico, up the road from Santa Fe. That's the logical meeting spot for the two of us. And um, we're going to ride up together, and we're rooming together at the Sheraton for the RWA conference, which technically doesn't start until Wednesday. But she and I are doing a reading at the Denver Science Fiction and Fantasy Reading Series that J.L. Forrest coordinates. So we're doing that at Book Bar on Saturday evening. So if you're in the Denver area, you should come by because it should be really fun. Um, Dorinda, of course, does the best-selling, New York Times best-selling Charlie Davidson series. And I'm going to be have copies of both The Shift of the Tide and my newer release, Prisoner of the Crown. Uh, the Because Prisoner of the Crown is done by Rebel Base, which is Kensington's new, new-ish, it launched in January, uh, science fiction and fantasy imprint, it's digital only, so the print copies are POD, print-on-demand. And so unreasonably expensive, you know, for a fairly slim volume, the books are $15, and I really don't blame anyone for not wanting to cough up that price when you can get the digital version for something like $4. So it's totally up to you guys, but if you want to come, I'll sign book plates or bookmarks, or you can just hear us talk, and we are pretty entertaining. So now I'm out in the Great Barber here which is a total mess. I hadn't cleaned it up yet. I decided not to subject Minerva to it yesterday, so we sat out on the front porch, which is why you could hear the uh, my little crow fountain. I'll have to post a little video of it sometime. It's something David gave me for Christmas this year, but it's a pair of crows that uh, alternately pour water out of their beaks from a pump. And ow, I have a choy at my foot. Dang it. Ouch. <laughs> so one thing that the pack rats do around here is they 
drag the Choya burrs up around places that they want to stake out as their territory. And this table under the grape arbor, the pack rat periodically decides is going to be his. I think he thinks he could make, like somehow shore up the sides and make this into a really huge pack rat nest, you know. Never say that they are not ambitious. <laughs> so he'll drag choya burrs up under this table. I haven't been out here for a couple of days. Oh, here's another set. And he'll sort of ring the table with the burrs. And the unwary, that would be George Choya. Oh, he's got like a whole little circle here. It's like a little, um, you know, I think of it as like a coven circle. You know, some days I expect to see a pentagram drawn underneath the table. But, so we are in an eternal battle where he does not get to have my nice table, which is covered in battered grapes and twigs and other detritus from the big hailstorm. Probably good that I didn't make Minerva go through this whole cleaning off thing. I've got one more chair to step off here. And I feel like um, Lucille Ball, you know, in that famous scene where she's mashing the grapes with her feet and crushing grapes underfoot. These will not be used for wine, obviously, but I will have to uh, bring out the broom to get this all cleaned up again. So that's not pristine, but it's good enough for government work. Ah, there we go. Now I can sit. And Jackson is out here with me. He's stalking the corner where the lizards often hang out and where he has cornered a, a red racer before. That was an inter it's a snake, a very fast snake, but non-venomous, you know, though really the only venomous snakes are the rattlesnakes other than the southwestern coral snake, but um, we really don't see those around here. Mm, and my coffee is good. But you know what? I forgot to put ice in it. Yeah, that's not the same. I was going to see if I could do without, but let's go back get some coffee. Coffee. It seems like uh, coffee either needs to be hot or icy, not not the intermediary. The tepid coffee is just, I think, not going to be a thing. Um, you guys could argue me if you think I'm wrong. And I'm impressed by how many of you are out there listening to these. That's really nice. Um, and I'm always excited to have feedback should you care to give it there's no onus but if you guys have questions or things that you'd like me to talk about i'm happy to do that all right grab some ice the quiet way i.e not you guys, and one of them fell on the floor, do you guys do this? I always take the extra ice and put them in the little cat water bowl. Or in my orchids, because I have that post on Facebook that I bought a Trader Joe's orchid. Can you tell I shop at Trader Joe's all the time? I bought a Trader Joe's orchid 
uh, tab on my desk because I'm writing the orchestra on it. I thought that would be a good inspiration, which it has been. It's really been nice to look at those. And I posted about how I, bad I am at keeping orchids alive. And was there something that I didn't know? Which, you know, obviously the answer is yes. <laughs> because I don't keep orchids alive. Uh, and so the best advice I got, of course, there's a lot of the usual advice, which I don't find helpful, which is, you know, like, oh, they need humidity, which, you know, hello, I live in a high desert, and humidity is just not something that we have, and I'm certainly not going to, I'm not a Mr. Sprayer kind of person, you know, I'm a pretty diligent waterer, um, occasional fertilizer, but, you know, I'm just not going to be the gal who's like putting them in the humidity controlled chamber or diligently misting them every Saturday morning. I, I have my limits. I just refilled the back fountain here too. It's not wanting to go yet. Sometimes it gets detritus in the filter. You have to shake it around and let it Ah, there we go. I'll plug it in again. Now it'll bubble up nicely. We have three fountains and two bird baths because I do like having some water in the desert. But at any rate, the great trick on orchids, I know you're sitting on the edge of your seat wondering when I will reveal this great information, is to put water them with ice cubes. Uh, you don't water them with water. You know, they, all the instructions always say, let them dry out, don't overwater, only put in a half a cup, all this. And I had pretty diligently followed those instructions before. But it turns out that the ice cube, if you put one or two in there every few days, I do let it dry out in between, that that slow drip of the water uh, works much better for the orchid roots because, you know, they're epiphytes which means that they typically will grow on a tree but not actually have their roots in soil. They're not a plant that you can plant in soil and have it grow on their own. Instead, they grow on something else and sort of take the, the rain and the nutrients that come along with the, the bark and so forth. Um, they're an epiphyte and not a parasite because... And a parasite actually takes from its host. It, it takes nutrition. It takes something from the host. And an epiphyte is just kind of on top of it, just clings on but doesn't take anything away from it. So, yes, I am using that imagery in the orchid throne. It's been useful. And I'm getting close. I'm getting close to done. Um, yesterday was a bit of a late start with Minerva and her husband leaving uh, they got out of here about a quarter to nine, but it was very nice sitting and chatting with them, so that was a, a special treat. But I did get a little over 4,000 words yesterday. I think I got something like 4,050, and I'm looking to see it. If I can look on my phone, I can access most of my documents on my phone. But it's 
somewhat arbitrary. I don't know if any of you guys use Dropbox on your phone and so forth. Mine is somewhat arbitrary about what it thinks recent files are. I'm sure it must have to do with the syncing or something like that. But what I think are recent files and what it thinks are recent files are not always the same thing. In fact, not often the same thing. So here we go. Yeah, so yesterday I got 4,051, and that, those were somewhat hot, hard fought. I didn't finish until 6.45. They flowed reasonably well, but it took me all day to do it, which I don't always love. But, you know, it's not like I have a super hard job, so I can't complain about that. So I'm at 76,000 words, a little over 76,000 words. So I'm on the just past the Act 2 climax, um, and I'm on Chapter 26. And I'm figuring I'll get up to chapter 33 or 34. So definitely getting there. And it's so far feeling good. I hate to jinx that. But I think I know how the rest of it will play out. Plus, some of that gets to be sex scenes, which is like my favorite thing to do. I think it's funny how you like um, Dorinda, who I'll be writing up to RWA with. She's confessed to me that she actually does the square bracket saying insert sex scene here, which I always telling her she shouldn't do. Because I get to give Dorinda advice, even though she's a New York Times bestseller. Uh, <laughs> but still, I think she shouldn't do that. Because I think that a sex scene should always be part of the character arc. It should always be integral to the connections between the characters and their overall transformation. Their change into different people. Yeah, so sorry. I, I I do like listening to Nathan's podcast, and it's funny how he'll sometimes fade out entirely during the talking because he'll start thinking about the book, and that's definitely a writer hazard. You start thinking about it and playing the scenes out in your mind and realize that you've disappeared. This is like when you're having dinner with people and they say things like, are you okay? <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, I'm okay. I'm just, uh, I was in an entirely different world there for a little bit. Come on, Jackson. He has his long leash, which he has tied knots in over time. And occasionally he gets them wound up around things. And then he looks at me all horrified and offended that he is trapped. because they look like like an alien insect. It's quite large, but they crawl on the ground, and I don't see how they could get up in that horse trough, which is underneath the canale, and the, you know, so the water pours off, and then the horse trough catches it. We have rain barrels, too. And so I know that we have bats. I know we have owls. I occasionally find an owl pellet under the grape arbor, too. I think they... We have one in particular, a great horned owl who hangs out in the neighborhood, and I think he or she gets up on this gray barber to digest their meals, perhaps eat their meals, and then the pellet, for those of you who are not biologists, which 
I understand many people are not, surprisingly enough. Uh, the pellet, what they do is they'll like eat the, like a whole mouse, and then the pellet is sort of this compact um, little mass of the bones and fur and things that they can't digest, and then they hork it up again and spit it out so you occasionally find these. They kind of look like a hairball, actually. It's like an owl hairball. Um, but they are kind of, if you are biologically inclined or naturalist inclined, they are kind of interesting to look about because you can pick them apart to see the uh, the little bones, see what they've been eating, different insects and that sort of thing. I realize this is not for everyone. In the orchid throne, my queen has naturalists in the court and she's always very interested in what they have to tell her about the natural world. I really wanted a fantasy world that was not ignorant. Um, if you understand what I mean, it seems like a lot of the fantasy worlds where there's um, sort of an absence of tech, which is a very classic, you know, some people complain that they're all like sort of a faux medieval um, society, which does happen a lot. The um, I am noticing that this hummingbird has a nest right here. <laughs> she just came in and sat in it, and it doesn't seem like a great place for a nest, but clearly it survived the hailstorm, so what do I know? I'm going to take a picture of it for you guys and post it, and maybe I'll get up and I'm glad I didn't knock into it when I was cleaning things up here. So hang on. I, I promise I will get back to my point because I did have one. It's an adorable little nest. And I didn't notice it until she came and sat in it. And it's beautifully constructed. And tiny. And maybe here, let me do a picture with my hand up next to it so that you can see how tiny it is. And I bet she's got eggs in there. Shall we see if we can get a picture of the eggs? Well, it's hard to do. Oh, there are eggs in there. Oh. I'm sorry. I've been entirely and thoroughly distracted by this nest. Oh. Okay, let's see if I can get a better picture of those eggs. There, we got it. Oh, and, and you get me at the bottom. Okay, that's funny. That's a funny picture. Well, how lovely. I hope that... <laughs> now, see, now this is another part of my world that you get admitted to, is that I'm going to worry about these eggs and these baby hummingbirds now. But maybe we'll get to hear them cheeping while I'm sitting out here having coffee with you guys. That'd be kind of fun. All right, so anyway, my point. Uh, there is this thing about fantasy always taking place in this non-tech world uh, as if having the magical aspects are incompatible with technology. And uh, Ilona Andrews, Ilona and Gordon who do the Kate Daniels books, you know, have that great premise for their world that uh, 
you know, it's it's basically our world, but a near future and tech goes so far that it overbalances the world and magic comes sweeping back and there are waves where either tech works or magic works. Uh, and it's, it's very cool, but it also reflects sort of a very common fantasy premise. And I've been on panels where we talk about this, where it's like, well, why does fantasy always mean non-tech? Especially, you know, like high fantasy, epic fantasy, urban fantasy will combine tech. But, um, wait now. Okay, that hover was getting a little close to Jackson. See, now I'm just going to worry all the time. Uh, but, you know, like classic fantasy, Tolkien-esque fantasy is always like there's no tech. So when I went to build this world for the Orca Throne, I deliberately did not want to do this. I've done it before with, you know, Twelve Kingdoms and Uncharted Realms is basically a non-tech world. Um, Sorcerer's Moon series is basically a non-tech world. Uh, Covenant of Thorns trilogy, she goes to Fairy, which is a non-tech society. So I wanted to try to break myself out of this pattern. So it's still not a highly tech world, but it is a world where there is a lot of knowledge and learning, and it's more like a um, kind of a, a Regency era with a lot of interest in natural, excuse me, naturalism and uh, studying the world and discovering things uh, you know it's a world in which there has been a Galileo and in which there has been uh, Darwin and and I'm trying and now I can't think of his name um, the scientist who did the initial experiments on what you needed uh, you know who, who's basically discovered microorganisms I, I can't think of the name now but, you know, there are microscopes and that sort of thing, which is interesting because we tend to have, you know, like tech be either, you know, you have um, campfires, horses and bows and arrows, or you have guns and airplanes. But, you know, really, there's a very long span of time in between where you have things like um, glass and you have steel edged weapons uh, and you have explosive substances and you have the ability to make things like microscopic lenses and or telescopic lenses so that you could study the stars and you could study microorganisms and understand more about the world. So that's basically the world that I've set this in. And and now I've really babbled on too long. I got so excited about the hummingbird nest, but I'll post the pictures with the podcast and uh, you guys can see those. So thank you for enjoying my first cup of coffee of the day with me. And I will talk to you all tomorrow. And hopefully I'll have gotten a lot written by then. Have a good one. Bye-bye.